Hi, guys. Happy Tuesday. If you're listening to this on the day it comes out, and happy whatever day it is, if you're listening to it at a different time, I'm Rachel, and I'll be your host of the Rachel Hollis podcast. Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is my podcast. I spend so many hours of every single week reading and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and trying to find out as much as I can about the world around me. And that's what we do on this show. We talk about everything, life and how to be an entrepreneur. What happened to dinosaurs? What's the best recipe for fried chicken? What's the best plan for intermittent fasting? What's going on with our inner child? How's therapy working out for you? Whatever it is my guests are into, I want to unpack it so that we can all understand. These are conversations. This is information for the curious. This is the Rachel Hollis Podcast. Well, first of all, I'm pretty pumped about the sweater I'm wearing. And let me explain the joy. This is going to be pretty nerdy, but I just want you to go with me. Back in at the end of the summer, I want to say August, my boyfriend and I made a decision that we would no longer buy new clothes. So just as an setting an intention and being more thoughtful about the environment and clothing, fashion. The fashion industry is one of the leading causes of doing terrible things to the world and just this massive resources that are used. And um, I think it's something like most of the water that's you like, I'm not going to be the stat person here, but just the point is Fashion is terrible for the planet. I happen to love fashion and I love clothes, but there's already so many in existence. So one day I was just like, dang, why do I need to ever buy new clothes again? I'm just going to wear vintage. I'm going to shop at Goodwill. I'm going to shop at flea markets and eBay and things like that. That was at the end of the summer and it has been very easy to pull this off. And the only exception I would say is um, chonies because I'm not going to wear, bless, I'm sure there are people who do it and they're fine, but I am not going to wear used chonies. And also um, I did for my birthday, I bought myself a pair of pajamas because pajamas to me also felt like something I didn't want to go to Goodwill and buy. Like socks, workout clothes. I haven't bought any of those things, but when I need them, I'm going to feel just fine to go ahead and get those new because again, it's a little weird to wear them from someone else. So all of that to say, I haven't bought new clothes. And it means that when I have time, I get excited to go check out a vintage shop or I've been sort of testing the local Goodwills to see if there's a good one. Because if any of you are thrift shoppers, I grew up thrift shopping out of necessity because we didn't have money. My very favorite aunt was the manager of the local Salvation Army. So she always found like the coolest stuff. You know, if you're a thrift shopper, that not all Goodwills are the same. And when you find a good Goodwill, like you find one in a part of the town that like they've got the good stuff or they've got sort of the style that you want, then that's the Goodwill that you frequent. So I've been testing and I haven't really found one yet that I love. But if you're in Austin, Texas and you know the good one, please, you know, DM me and let me know. But I... (laughs) 
was trying out a new one and I found the sweater that I'm currently wearing and I'm pumped, you guys. It's a really pretty rosy color. You know, I'll actually put it on Instagram stories today. If you're listening to this in real time, I'll put it on stories if you care. But I found this sweater. It was $12 and it still had the tags. And that is a Goodwill. That's like the unicorn. You still got the tags and it's such a pretty color and it's warm and it's perfect for this rainy cold day in Austin. I always feel like the sort of more drab and dark the sky is the brighter color I want to wear in life for myself and also just in case, I don't know, someone sees me and they're like, man, thank you for wearing the color of sherbet today. Sherbet? Sherbert. I grew up saying sherbet, but it's spelled sherbet. And this is <laughs> the award-winning podcast that you have tuned into. As always, there's a point but I like to just start with a little bit of what's happening. And what's happening is $12 sweater, making me so happy. Okay, let's jump into today's conversation, which is, I had this idea a few weeks ago and then I've debated it because I always just feel like, oh, is this too controversial, which is hilarious. It's hilarious how programmed we are, I am, to think that a conversation about relationships could be controversial. But it might be. But even if it might be, it feels important to have this conversation because it's not one I ever heard. And I always think that if I wish something existed or wish something had existed for me, that I should create it. Like if I didn't have it and it feels like something that I wish was out in the world, that maybe there are some of you who wish it existed too. And this podcast is about the signs that your relationship is in trouble. Or more specifically, things I can look back now two years post-divorce and understand were pretty significant warning signs that I ignored. And the more time goes by, the more I see things for what they were and didn't really understand at the time. And I know, I know for a fact, there's so many listeners of this podcast and you're all over the world. And so I know that some of you are in this situation right now and for one reason or another are ignoring it. And so I want to go through things to look out for because there is a point in time where you can still work on these things, where you can still save the relationship and you can still come together and become stronger and become better and come out the other side and you know be together for 50 years. And then there are also instances where it's too far gone or you're too far apart from each other in order for something healthy to ever come out of the experience again. And if you're debating whether or not to listen to this podcast, I guess I'll give a warning, which is I would not go back in time and save 
like I wouldn't go back in time and try and work on the relationship more than I did. So if, yeah, I guess I'm coming from that perspective. I'm coming from two years removed and guiding my children through the process and being able to have the freedom to be myself and falling in love again with someone who loves me for who I am today, not who I was at 19. And it is, as much as that process was hard and brutal, it is one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. And that is nothing against him. That is one of the best decisions I ever made in my life for me and I think for my children. And so if you're, if you don't want that perspective, like if you're in a relationship and you're still debating and you don't want that perspective, I am positive that somewhere in the podcast universe, there's probably someone who did figure out and fight to save their marriage and they're sort of going to give perspective there. So go find that teacher. But I'm the one who is is coming from it from a different angle. So that's your warning or your your notice or whatever you need before I launch into these things. And this is all based on an 18-year relationship. But I think that these things apply if you're in, if you've been with someone for a year or three years or maybe six months. But there you go. That's what we're talking about today. The first thing, and I think the most important thing, right at the top. This is something I heard, I have heard a million times. I think that most women have heard it, maybe men too, but I think most women have heard it. I definitely had heard it, but I really like, I just found a million excuses for why this wouldn't be the case. You know when something isn't right. Women have intuition. You have a gut level instinct that you should trust. For five years in memory, I'm I am positive that it goes back beyond that. But for five years, I knew that something was wrong and I knew that I did not have all of the truth. Yeah. I'm not going to tell his story because that's his story to tell and maybe someday he will tell it. But my story is that for five years, I did everything that I could to hold it together, to hold us together, to make it better, to make it stronger. There was sort of like all of this stuff. I don't know how else to explain it, like on a surface level, that everything, I don't mean surface like other people looking in, but like on the, on sort of the first layer, there was love and trust and friendship and parenting and a family and, you know, later us running a business together and all of these things. And something was not right. Something, I just knew that I didn't have the truth. I didn't have his truth, that there was something going on and I didn't know what it was. And about 
seven months ago, I was, I, I went to see a therapist and it was sort of a, like a intense therapy experience as opposed to like a long drawn out, you see someone every week. And he said something to me and he really pissed me off. And he was like, what does it say about you? Because obviously now two years later and all this truth comes out and after we split up, then I like found out all this stuff I didn't know. And he was like, what does it say about you that you didn't know? I'm using air quotes. Like, how could you not know? What does it say about you that you didn't know? And I got so pissed. Like I carried, cause I was just like, wait a minute. I was the one, like, I'm the one who took care of, the, I'm the one who did these things. I'm the one, like, I'm not the one who screwed up, but you're getting on, like how, what you come at me, bro. Like, what are you talking? Of course you guys, I didn't say that to him in the thing, you know, me like good girl. I was just like, what? Like, couldn't believe he said that. And I thought, I've thought about it so much since then. And I was talking to my boyfriend about this a few weeks ago. And I was like, yeah, like, remember when he said that thing to me about how could I not know? And like, what does that say about me? And like, fuck that guy. Like, how dare he say that? And my sweet love was like, okay, well, any time in life that someone says something that really pisses you off, you need to take a deeper look. Because if it was told, if there was no validity there, if, you know, it's like someone coming up to you in the street and being like, you're a purple dinosaur. You know, you'd be startled because someone just screamed at you and clearly has a fixation on Barney. But you wouldn't actually take it to heart. You wouldn't be like, oh my God, am I a purple dinosaur? You wouldn't, you wouldn't think twice about it. You'd be like, that person's crazy because there's no truth there. We only get pissed off. We only get our feathers ruffled when there's something that hits it. And so that's a whole thing for me to unpack is like, what is it? I mean, I can, I can unpack it. Like I can look at the family I was raised in and how I was raised and, you know, the man of the family was the leader and he was right. And it everyone, let's keep him happy and let's make sure everything's okay. And I understand why I didn't know, but I I knew something was wrong, but I couldn't, it was like I had blinders on and I couldn't see what was really there. And so I guess I just wanted to start with that beat. Because I remember, you guys, I freaking remember when I was married, I'd be talking to my girlfriends about it, and I'd be like, I know something, like, there's just something he's lying about. Like, I don't, I don't have any, but I just know that there's not, I'm missing truth. But it was so, it was just the antithesis of what I thought I had because I was married to my best friend, and we told each other everything. And we were so honest and we were so truthful. And it turns out that wasn't real. But I think that it was safer for me to believe in the fantasy that we didn't lie to each other. 
and that we always told the truth. So I just want to say that if you have an instinct that something's off, something's off. If you have an instinct that you don't have all the information, that there's something that just in your gut, it's not right, something's not right. And I don't say that to make you paranoid because the truth is it didn't even really matter. Like, I guess this is kind of a crazy thing to say. What the truth was, wasn't enough to break us, but the lying about it for years was. The sort of like double life that is required. That, the weight of that and the stress of that, all of it, that is a huge piece in in why it didn't work. So trust your gut. I think that brings me to the second thing that I I really didn't see this at the time, but I can see it in retrospect as a huge issue. And in the not knowing the whole story, that sort of like animal instinct that something was wrong and I didn't know it, like I didn't know what, I had lost trust in my partner a million percent. Like I can, I can look back now and see that I had lost trust and that manifested in so many different ways, but I didn't, I didn't trust him in a lot of ways. It's funny because I still, <laughs> you, it, it's very weird. I, 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 if you've ever read the book Codependent No More, I would highly recommend that one. And I didn't read it until after the fact, but you sort of still have your blinders in the way that you did because you're kind of programmed to function in a certain way. But I lost trust in other areas. I, I, everything then became a debate. Like I lost trust at work because it was like, wait, that something's wrong. And I, you know, just that's something at the time that I didn't clue into and now I realize is everything. It is everything that you trust your partner's word, that you trust that they'll be somewhere they tell you they're gonna be, that you trust that you can count on them, that you have their love, that you're safe to feel intimate. Like trust is everything. And when it gets broken in a past relationship, it also means that that was a huge issue coming into my new relationship is bless, bless this man. Like he wasn't even doing anything, but sort of past triggers would make me doubt what he was saying was true or would, I was doubting him in, I was sort of taking the lens of the old relationship and kind of using it as the filter for the new one. And that required a ton of work and a ton of therapy. But, oh, I should have realized that at the time. If you go from just, in my case, because I met my ex-husband when I was so young, I was 18 years old, I had blind faith in him, blind faith, because that's what you were supposed to do. And I do think in retrospect, that's a lot of pressure for the partner 
in, in this instance, in a, a male-female marriage with the narrative that we came out of in the church that said that he was the head of the household and he knew best and all, that's a lot of pressure for a young man. Like, I'll give it. that. That's a lot of pressure that you're the one who's supposed to have all the answers, that you're supposed to figure everything out. Like, that, I'm sure, was a heavy burden to carry. And going into being 39 now and being in a relationship, it's a partnership in the truest sense of the word. It is a partnership. It's not this antiquated idea that one of us knows better and that, you know, the big man, like he has all the answers and the little woman should just follow along behind. But that's a huge deal. And I think how I will guide my children as they come to an age where they are in relationships or want to get married is that you need to have trust in each other and that nobody you're both going to have areas where you're you have more information, you're more advanced, you have more experience in a certain area, but that doesn't make you like you don't automatically get to be the leader just cuz you have the penis. <laughs> but not having yeah, it's like have faith in your partner and have faith in your relationship. But trust is something that's earned. Trust is something that's earned. And trust once it's broken is very difficult to come back from. The next thing that I did for years, and I think a lot of people do this, and I've read a lot of books on divorce and helping kids through divorce, and so I know this is very common, is that the relationship really became about the fact that we were friends because we were. And I I just can't stress that enough that being friends, what a gift, because we did have the blessing of this incredible friendship with each other, though I feel naive even saying that now because it's sort of like, well, if someone's really your best friend, you can't, you know, live a lie for years, but whatever. We did have so much fun together and we were such good friends that that really became the relationship. and. What really, I would say, had me stay in it, even when my instinct was telling me that this wasn't, that something was wrong, that this wasn't right, it was the kids. It was 1 million percent the kids and what it would do to the kids if we split up. And that is so many, so many relationships. And I'm also hyper aware that I have a job. And so I had the financial resources to leave my marriage. And there are so many women who do not have that, period. And so you're trapped inside of this thing that is a bad relationship at the least. And in some cases, Women stay inside of relationships that are abusive or full-on neglectful or, you know, fill in the blank because they don't have any other option for taking care of their kids. So I am really aware of how blessed I was 
how freaking lucky I was to be able to take care of myself and take care of my kids. But for the longest time, financials removed, I just, I, I, and the the truth is, just to be clear, I didn't sit around for two years or three years or five years or even six months and go, oh, I want to get a divorce, but I don't know how, or I want to get a divorce, but what about the kids? Like I really legitimately wouldn't even let my, my brain, that word didn't even enter my consciousness until really, until the day that I found the courage to say that it was over. I hadn't been debating it. I, I'm sure that there are people who are like, oh, I think that this, no. It was so ingrained in me from childhood that you get married and that you know divorce is a sin and till death do us part, for better, for worse, all those things, that it never even occurred to me. And in retrospect, like I feel like, my subconscious had been working it out for years, but I really couldn't even let myself think it. And in talking to my girlfriends, we had had dinner at the beginning of 2020. And I was complaining about my ex-husband, who was my husband at the time. And I went to the bathroom and they told me later that when I went to the bathroom, they were like, oh, shit, this is serious. Because there was something, and I don't even remember what I was talking about, but there was something in my tone or the way I was talking about it that they realized like, oh, oh, this has passed a point of no return. And they didn't say anything to me and I didn't, I wasn't, con I wasn't like conscious of it at the time. But I just... Yeah, for the longest time I had I had been unhappy, but it was like, oh, there's not even a choice cuz we are parents and it's for the kids and I I do remember thinking when I started to get closer to knowing that this was really serious and that we needed a break or we needed something, I remembered thinking, well, it's only 15 more years until my baby is 18. I remember thinking that. Oh, if if I can just hang on for 15 years, then Noah will be grown up. And holy shit, holy shit. Like I can't even believe in retrospect how insane that is. I, oh my God, it, that you as a, as a human would stay in something that is broken and unhealthy deeply unhealthy for both of you because you think that that is the answer that's going to give your kids the healthiest home life. That 15 years, oh my, I can't. And people do it all the time. And what ultimately helped me to flip the way I was thinking was realizing, oh my God, would I want my daughter who I'm considering staying in this for 15 more years, would I want her to be in a relationship like this and stay in it for 15 years because 
she thought that no way, but this is what's going to happen. I'm going to set the example. I am setting an example. You are setting an example for your children right now of what they should strive for in life as individuals, as a family, uh, in relationship. And in retrospect, how crazy it was because now I am looking at my relationship. I'm looking at their dad's relationship that are so much better for us as individuals, like the people that we are with now. Number one, here's what's nuts, guys. The people we are with now could not be more different than the partner we had. Like my boyfriend could not be more different. Oh my God, could not be more different than my ex-husband. And his girlfriend could not be more different than me. And that should be is so telling of how we had grown apart. We had grown out of what was healthy for each other as individuals. But people do it all the time. They stay inside of relationships, sometimes because they have to, and sometimes because it's terrifying to think of what it would look like to start over or to rebuild. And let's just be real right now. It is awful. Divorce is horrible. It is so freaking terrible. Oh my God. I I just, I can't even enough how miserable that process was. And absolutely brings out the worst. I'm, oh God, I bet there's people who like, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow or whatever, who go through a divorce and it's just like, fine. But no, that was not, it was, mm -mm, it was bad. So, and not only that piece and going through it for us as adults, but navigating the kids through it. And I honestly think I'm really proud of how we navigated our kids through it because even when we didn't like each other and we didn't like each other a lot in that process, we were united for the kids. We had family dinners. We had birthday parties. We did Christmas and Thanksgiving. We spent holidays together. It was brutally hard for us as adults, but it was really good for our kids. But it still was awful and it still was the best decision I've ever made. I just can't imagine being in that loop, just reliving that same thing. I just think that when you have practiced, you know, when you have years and years of practice, that means that you have hours upon hours upon hours, 10,000 hours to become an expert. Like how many 10,000 hour segments did we have in 18 years of learning to behave a certain way together? And yeah, I just, I can't imagine still being in it. So it was a brutal slog and there are parts of it that are still a slog, but it is the best decision I ever made to be healthy for myself and to be healthy for my kids. And at the time, I carried a lot of the responsibility for that. Publicly, 
publicly I carried the responsibility because I wouldn't talk about what was really going on. There was only one of us talking and it wasn't me. And so publicly it was like, oh, this terrible human did this thing to this guy. And privately, from my kid's perspective, I was the one who decided to end things and I was the one who moved out. And I carried a lot of that, all of it. And I felt like it was the right thing to do to protect my kids. And as time has gone on, I really didn't think that maybe there would be understanding for them until they were grownups, honestly. But as time has gone on, the truth, there's an old saying that says the truth will out. You know, it always comes out. And it feels like honestly such a weight off of me. At least that my kids have an understanding now that they didn't before. And they are experiencing that choice that I made to make sure that we were all okay. They're living that right now. So you can stay in something because you think that it's the right thing for your kids. And maybe there are times that it is, but there comes a point in life where it is, it is survival, where it is genuinely the survival of your spirit to be able to function. Like I'm the one who takes care of everybody, me, I'm the one. And I couldn't do that and continue to take care of him. Yeah. And I haven't said that ever because I'm still being protective of everybody. But I just know that there's other people. I know that there's listeners. It's not going to make sense to everybody what I'm saying, but I know there are people listening to this who get it. And yeah, that at some point you have to save yourself because if you're staying in something for your kids, you have to be as strong as you possibly can be. And that's, that's what's controversial about this conversation is everything that I ever learned told me that it was my job to, once you got married, that it, you know, all those things. I know that sounds crazy to say, not for everybody, but if you grew up in the church or you're in the church right now and you're listening to this, it's blasphemy, but it's nuts to have grown up in a place that said that you should get married as soon as you were grown up, right? You turn 18, you save yourself for your husband, you get married till death do us part and for better or for worse, all of those things. But at 19 years old, you don't have any concept of what that means, especially if you've got rose-colored glasses on and you have that blind trust and you think that you can, it's all going to be safe and it's all going to be okay. And it's not always, it's not. And that doesn't mean that people will understand it. And that doesn't mean that people will be okay with it. And there are times where you fight, man, you fight to stay together. 
And then there comes a point, and this was absolutely the way I felt. And I will, you know, this is my flag that I will stick in the ground. I think this was true for both of us. We had grown into absolutely different people. And the people that we were, this is like removing everything else. Just the individual people that we were, we didn't work at all. And not only did we not work, but it was like our existing as our actual selves was hurtful to the other person. That was another thing that I think, I've talked about this a little bit, but I really, I really can't stress it enough is it's, I saw this thing in like a psychology report of relationships. And one of the like warning signs was your partner believes you to be a different person than you actually believe that you are. And I think that was very true, but also that my partner wanted the girl that he married. And I do use the word girl on purpose. He wanted a girl who was so excited to be married and to be his wife and to have a house and to have babies. And if that's your dream, that is freaking amazing. And that was my dream. And I love it. But I want more in my life than that. And the more that I aspired to or the more that I tried, the more problems we had, period. Like any, respectfully, like everybody has their truth and their version of a story. But the more that I, if I wanted to write a book, if I wanted to have a podcast, if I wanted to do a conference, all of those things, every time I tried to do something new or had a new, every time that created problems. Because every time I did something new, it was another sign that I was new or that I was evolving or that I wasn't the same person. And when we change, if you're with someone who's not changing at the same pace or isn't changing in the same way, it's not wrong, but it is going to create friction. There's a scripture in the Bible that says two oxen can't be unevenly yoked. If you imagine um, a yoke like that goes around the back of uh, oxen who would plow the fields, right? They'd put this wooden, it's called a yoke, they'd put them over their back. And if one of the oxen was smaller than the other, then that yoke would be at an angle. You can't be unevenly yoked. So you can't have one person who's growing at a rapid pace and the other one who's growing but not as fast or who's growing, trying to keep up or growing in a different, it just, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Couples grow and evolve together all the time. But if one of them is moving and changing and the other isn't, it's going to create issue. And I genuinely don't believe that who I am today is, or who I was two or three years ago is who he wanted to be married to. And so all the friction then comes from me believing like that in order to make this person happy, I need to act like who I was as a teenager at 19 or 20 years old. 
So I need to go back in time, you know, 15 years. I need to lose all of those pieces in order to make him feel good, to make him feel, you know, like a man. And I tried, freaking tried, man, for a long time. But every once in a while, that like who I was would peek out. That authentic self comes out in my work. It comes out in my books. It comes out on podcasts. It comes out in a conference or standing on stage. And not to sound like a douche lord, but I'm really confident. If you've seen me on stage ever, you've come to conference before, I'm not a wilting violet. I'm not small. I'm not, I'm very strong and assured of myself. And you and I both know, guys, that's going to rub some dudes the wrong way. And I think in theory, like a lot of men in theory are like, that's badass, him included. But it doesn't mean that's who he wants to be married to. And so there's just this underlying tension, right? And the flip is true too. Like I, my greatest value in life, my greatest value is growth. And it means at times that I find myself in tension and in pain. But if you called your shot and you said, hey, universe, hey, God, I want to grow. I want to evolve as a human being. There's one way to do that. And it's through discomfort. So if my greatest value is growth and his greatest value is certainty, I'm going through human human needs, a little psychology for you if you're not familiar. If his is certainty and mine is growth, we're always going to be in opposition. And then there's just this twisted thing that happens where you fall into a routine of trying to make it work and trying to make it fit. And it just sort of never does. And that was a huge sign was, and I want to say this to you, you can be the best of friends and you can have a relationship that is pretty good and that people from the outside, and honestly, maybe that feels good for you because you want companionship. There's nothing wrong with that. But I didn't just want companionship. I wanted the freedom to be myself. That's what I wanted more than anything. And when I made the decision to end my marriage, it never occurred to me that I would fall in love again. I for sure thought I would make out with people again. That was a big plan that didn't come to fruition, by the way. But it never, it wasn't ever like, oh, if I wasn't inside of this relationship, I could go find another one. That would, that nope. It didn't, that was not even in my con- consciousness. In fact, I heard a quote that is, that perfectly sums it up, which is going to sound, if there's dudes listening to this, this is going to sound so jacked, but man, this is real. <laughs> I heard this quote when I was going through divorce that said, it takes a really good man to be better than no man at all. <laughs> it's true. Oh my lord. I I didn't want someone else. I just wanted to be able to be myself and not feel like I was getting in trouble for it. And I also really wanted to know what it would feel like if I just 
only was having to take care of myself and my kids instead of myself, my kids, and another adult. You know, I wrote a book called Girl Stop Apologizing, and it makes it especially wild that I realized that I, every time I didn't act like myself, every time I didn't show up wholly and fully as me, I was apologizing to try and keep the peace or make it okay. And that's not okay with me. And I would never want that for my children. Yeah. All right. Last thing. I feel like this has been a confessional and that wasn't the intention, but I don't know any other way to have this conversation except for truthfully. And so here's the last thing that for me was at the time, stupidly, I couldn't understand what it meant. And now I understand what it means, but I'm big on visualization. You guys know this about me. Go listen to episode 72 of this podcast, the Start Today Journal and the Start Today Planner. Like all of those things are about visualizing the future that you want to create. And you've probably heard me say a lot, if you've ever done meditation with me, that you need to see it like a movie playing in your mind. And so I do this a lot as I'm mapping out the year, getting excited or trying to see where do I want to be 10 years from now or five years from now or six months. And I had done this exercise a few years ago where I was imagining my 40th birthday. So I just turned 39 uh, just a few weeks ago. So this was a few years ago. So I was like, okay, it's three years or whatever until or four years until I'm 40, until my big, my next big birthday. And I did this whole visualization of who I wanted to be and what I wanted it to look like. And I, I imagined my 40th birthday party and who was going to be there and how old my kids were. And I think I even did a podcast about it, like to this idea of mapping out your next big birthday. And I had this whole visualization and I when I was done, I journaled. So I journaled like four pages. I wrote down everything that I saw and I had this whole thing and all the stuff, right? All felt really good and I was really excited. And when I finish a journal, I go back and read it. So my journals last like a few months. And then at the end of what amounts to be about a quarter, I'll go back and I'll read the journal before I start a new one. It's just a great little how far have we come? And oh, did I set any goals that I need to re-examine? Blah, blah, blah. And I went back and read the journal and realized that I had not mentioned my husband one time. He wasn't in the vision at all. I talked about my kids, my best friends. I talked about the rock being there. <laughs> like I had this whole, it was, I wasn't, I imagined in great detail and lots and lots of information and not one time in the visualization did I see my husband. And not only that, when I was writing it down, it didn't occur to me that he wasn't there. And I remembered reading that later and being like, oh, damn, what's that about? And now I know that's because when we're doing visualization and when we're doing meditation, we are, we're connecting with our inner knowing. And even if I couldn't consciously take that in, my inner knowing knew that this was not right. You know in your gut, you know. And you also know in your gut if it's time to work on it. 
If it's time to go to therapy, if it's time to get help, if it's time to be honest, you know, and you know if it's run its course. See, lots of people like to say that divorce is a failure or your marriage failed. And I disagree vehemently. My marriage was not a failure. My marriage was exactly what it was meant to be. 18 years. 18 years of laughter and joy and friendship and babies and remodeling kitchens and vacations, supporting each other, holding each other's hand when we're sick or crying or scared, growing up together. We freaking grew up together. We became grownups together. None of that is wasted. All of it is exactly what it was meant to be. And I have these four unbelievably beautiful, incredible kids. I am so lucky. I am so blessed. And I am still, two years later, just really getting started on what it means to be this version of myself. Like I'm 39 and God willing, I still have half a life to go at least. And this half is about settling more firmly into the woman I am and knowing it's okay to be a woman who's becoming something new. And I wouldn't have gotten to any of this if I hadn't gone through every moment of that. So it might be controversial for some people to consider that there's a time when a marriage has run its course, but that's my story. And I'm really proud of it. I'm really proud of us for where we are today. And I'm excited to see where we go next. But I promise you guys, none of it would ever have seen the light of day if I hadn't had the courage to know when the time had come. The Rachel Hollis Podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Rachel Hollis. The show is produced by Sterling Coates and edited by Andrew Weller. 